anything that we are ingesting, whether it is the food, the drink, the conversations, the friendships, the media, the social media, the movie and TVs, all of that we are ingesting, we're metabolizing, and it's becoming part of our cells. It is our responsibility to get really clear, find that awareness around, okay, when I ingest this thing, how does it make me feel? But that awareness that we are so terrified of because it means responsibility, that is what gifts us all of the space for the empowered choices of our life. Welcome to the Beautifully Broken Podcast, brought to you by AmpCoil. I'm your host, Freddie Kimmel, and on this show, we discuss the common thread survivors share after walking through the fire, the practitioners making a difference, and the treatment modalities that deliver healing back into the hands of the people who need it most. Witness the inspiration we gain by navigating the human experience with grace, humility, and a healthy dose of mistakes. Because part of being human is being beautifully broken. Ladies and gentlemen, on the podcast today, we have one of my favorite guests, a superhuman, a close personal friend, and that's Tori Doobie. She is a certified hypnotherapist, holistic nutritionist, a life coach. She's got everything going on and now works with a huge company in New York called Super Media Connector. She does so many things for so many people, basically helping everyone level up. Women who own businesses, who want to step into their power, people who are lost along the way, who want to get back in their body and regain the strength they know that they have. I really want everybody to sit down and take this episode to heart. Tori delivers across the board. We talk about anxiety. We talk about freeing up bandwidth to do what you really were meant to do in the world. And it, believe me, she gives you a pathway with which how to access those things In addition, there's an incredible meditation, a guided induction, which would be a precursor to hypnotherapy. Do not miss this. Stick around. Don't do the meditation in your car while you're driving. That is a disclaimer. And with that, we're going to get this show started. Tori Doobie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so excited you're here. We're going to have so many things to talk about today. But before we jump in, I was wondering if you could just give the audience a small snippet of what you do. So in action, I'm the director of client growth for a media company in New York City where we put levers and world shifters in mainstream media. And on paper, I am a holistic nutritionist, life coach, and hypnotherapist. That's incredible. So so primarily what you're doing right now, you're working with this media conglomerate in New York City. Yes. Yeah. And what does that work look like? So we do a three-day event where we teach experts and entrepreneurs how to make media connections and get in mainstream media, therefore amplifying their impact in an immense way, right? Like instead Mm -hmm. of just relying on social media or Facebook ads or whatever digital marketing we've all been taught to do as entrepreneurs, now they're in mainstream media and potentially reaching Barbara in Idaho who's watching her morning news. So... um, That is our big initiative. And then my role is to find these brilliant beings. So I'm having these insane conversations all week, looking for these awesome people, inviting them to this event, getting them in the room where it's just this massive networking party of really high vibe, awesome, beautiful human beings. And then we link them to the media at our event. Yeah. It's like the super connector that you're creating, right? Yeah. That's Um, why our business is called Super Connector Media. (laughs) 
<laughs> I love it. So when you initially gave your your snippet of what you do, I heard um, holistic health coach, nutrition expert, hypnotherapist. Um, that's a lot of self-help on there. What took you down the road initially? I feel like my whole life was leading to all of those things for sure. Is this the long version or another snippet? <laughs> Why don't you give me... Give me the authentic version that speaks to you in this moment. Okay. So as a oldest child, child of divorce, perfectionist, I channeled my anxiety as a kid into an eating disorder. So I, my eating disorder started when I was 11 years old. And from 11 to maybe 25, I binged, I purged, I refused to eat. I overexercised whatever form that I could manipulate my body in a way to feel control. I, I used it. And on the outside, I still looked like perfect performing Tory as a dancer, as student council president, as an author, whatever I was doing at the time, nobody knew, but I was freaking miserable on the inside. So fast forward a bit. I was acting, working for a nonprofit in New York City, auditioning, still trying to figure out who I was. I went through a breakup. My anxiety went to an all-time high. My eating disorder, therefore, I like relapsed back into some really destructive tendencies. And I just had this moment where I knew something had to change and I didn't know what it was. And some divine voice said, go to a meditation retreat, even though I hate traveling alone and I had never meditated before and I'd never gone to an ashram for a meditation retreat before. But I Googled how to feel better. And this meditation retreat popped up that was starting the next week in the Bahamas. And I just committed and went there. Dr. Joe Dispenza, who I'm still a humongous Joe Dispenza fan, he was coincidentally speaking. I had no idea who he was, never heard him speak before, but he was talking about the power of positive psychology and quantum physics. And everything in my being went, that, that is what I want. That's what I want to know. That's what I want to teach left that meditation retreat, kind of swiped my whole life into a sinkhole and said, I don't want to audition anymore. I don't want to work for this nonprofit anymore. I want to heal myself and then be a force in the world, whatever it looks like on the other side. Enrolled in mind-body transformational psychology. Still a little bit thinking that, okay, if I know how to think perfectly, eat perfectly, know all about supplements, whatever my distorted view of what holistic nutrition was at the time, if I can do it perfectly, I will finally have the perfect body and then I will be worthy. Uh, which is such a crock of crap. But I went through the program, learned so much about myself along the way, got to detangle a lot of things while going through the holistic nutrition, hypnotherapy, and life coaching certifications. Started a coaching business on the other side in 2015. It's evolved a bit throughout the years. It was really nutrition heavy in the beginning. And then realizing it doesn't matter what you're fueling your body with if you're internal conversations, your psychology is incredibly toxic. So we pulled the lens back and it was a lot more focused with the hypnotherapy and positive psychology and rewiring the brain. And then the latest iteration was using those tools with entrepreneurs and world shifters to really amplify their business, amplify their mission and their message. And that is how I got linked with my current job they basically invited me to take what I was doing with, I mean, I think I was capped out at like 30 students. They said, hey, how would you like to do this for millions of people? Because you will be putting our entrepreneurs in mainstream media. So could not resist that opportunity. And um, that is how I ended up at Super Connector Media, using all of these tools to essentially 
it's kind of like glorified sales in a way. Uh, but still, I get to use all of these tools within our company and then with all of our clients. So feels like the most divinely timed next lily pad I was hopping to. And I just can't wait to see what comes next. It's almost like you planned it that way. It feels like I did in a humongous way. So can I tell you a funny story? Yeah, please. Because I just, I feel like I'm in this space where a lot of things are blooming, like seeds that I planted a decade ago, which if you stay committed, I mean, you're like this, Freddie, you take yourself so seriously, not in that you need to be perfect, but you have a high standard of existing in the world, right? And that standard, although you forget sometimes and you have to like realign, but you just commit to it because you're like, well, what else would I do? So I planted these seeds a decade ago and there have been many ups and many downs. And in the downs, I just said, hey, but what else am I going to do? I still got to think like this. I still got to stay positive. I still got to stay focused. And a decade later, a lot of them are blooming. But um, so in January, I went to this event in New York City and on the stage, I accidentally said in a hot seat that I didn't want to run a business anymore. I just wanted to speak and have my podcast. And I got off the stage and went, shit, there was a hundred ideal clients in the room and I just admitted I don't want them as clients. And I thought that I quote ruined it. And then what's really hilarious is that I was then hired by this company to speak on stages and they basically took my podcast under their wing and they're like, time to blow this up and let the whole world know what it is. So just more validation that the more honest we are with what we really want and who we want to be, it comes to fruition if you just let it. Mm, that's beautiful. Can we go back to 11-year-old Tori for a minute? Please. And can we talk about maybe because I know people will, will relate to this, um, like that first, you can almost imagine yourself as like this perfect crystal, right? And then there's like a crack. And you said at 11 is when your eating disorder started to manifest in your body. Do you remember how that unfolded at 11 years old and what that felt like? Yeah, so I switched schools from fourth grade to fifth grade. And while that was traumatizing, I still had this really beautiful childlike naivety to me, right? Like it was, I was like, oh, that's a bummer that I'm leaving my friends, but I'm going to make new friends. And I remember that the second I started getting boobs, it was like, I went into my body and went, oh my God, I live in this body. This is a body that I live in. And people see me as Tori in this body and my body's different than everybody else. So it wasn't until I started shifting and changing around 11 got my period at 12, which is really early for some of my friends didn't get it till 15, 16 years old. That plopped me into this awareness around my body. And all of a sudden I was really insecure. And all of a sudden I saw everything on TV and in magazines. And I just was hyper aware that I didn't look like the people that I was admiring. And my best friend at the time, little skinny, tiny body, they weighed us in gym class and I was three pounds heavier than her which I mean, that's like a big poop at the, like really three pounds. That's nothing. Uh, but to me who now had little boobies, I was like, Oh my God, I'm deformed and she's still perfect. So my first iteration of the eating disorder was like, okay, well, I'm just not going to eat food. That's all I knew. I didn't have the internet. I didn't feel like I could trust my parents to ask them. I didn't want them to know I had boobs. Oh my God. So I just felt really alone. And I, thought I came up with the best solution was, okay, I just won't eat food. Then I, I won't 
grow any more fat on my chest. Therefore, I won't have boobs and people won't know that I have boobs. So you didn't have an example of an eating disorder around you. This is something that you're, you're, you, you came up with as a, as a means to a solution. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, both of my parents didn't really. So when I was a couple years into it, my dad, just out of his fear of me being ostracized or made fun of, or I don't even know what his fear was. He went kind of nutty. Like he tried to overexercise me. Uh, at one point he talked about diet pills. He bought me a bathing suit one time and showed me myself in the mirror and was like, time to work out. So dad, I know my dad, dad. My dad so much, but he was so afraid that I would get picked on in school or something. I don't know what the hell it was. Our parent, I mean, our parents just try to do what I don't know. Wait, our parents do the best that they can in the time that they have with the information that is available to them. Amen. 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 So, oh my goodness. I was just floundering about on an island. And then when my person who came to save me uh, basically just went, yeah, you're right, man, you're fed. <laughs> so um, yeah, no, I remember getting like puberty books and stuff from the doctor and mm -hmm. it was so nauseating to me, literally could ruin my month. Like I hated it. I hated when we talked about it in school. I wanted to vomit. I remember begging my teacher if I get a 100 on this test, can you please not make me get it signed by my parents? Like the rule was you had to get your sex ed puberty test signed by your parents. He said, if I get a perfect grade on it, can I please not have to show my dad that I know what semen is and that I know what a menstrual cycle is? And I can't talk about that stuff with my parents. And they were like, okay. So I got a 100 on the test and then never had to talk about it. And then when I would be presented with material from experts who I guess were trying to help me through this, I've hated it. I would throw all the books behind the bookshelf so no one would ever know that I knew what a penis looked like, but I didn't want anybody to know this was in my brain. Where do you think that seed of shame came from that it almost seemed like it was sort of hardwired into your DNA a little bit? It just, my parents aren't sexual people. They're not, they didn't have any support around. They were poor they had to feed themselves. My mom made her own clothes. Do you think her mom was pulling her aside and going, hey, this is how the female... No. My, mom was, my mom's mom was completely absent from her own trauma in her own life. So my mom had to figure it out on her own. I'm sure she was shameful when she first got her period and started getting boobs. And then, so when it came time for me to move through that, she was still uncomfortable. Nobody had ever taught her another way. So we just ignored it. Nobody talked to me about it. I feel like that's a, a standard thread in our country is there's just a general um, uncomfortability with whether it's sexuality, nudity, um, you know, it's in, in everywhere around the world, it's a rite of passage. It's actually celebrated in many cultures as opposed to being this thing of like, you know, it's like your scarlet letter almost. It's so nuanced that we're just so afraid of getting it wrong. So I feel like we just don't even want to touch on it. I don't know. Like there's a fear right in school. It's like, well, we don't want to talk about sex because what if we're encouraging sex? I don't know. So I don't know what was running through my parents' mind, but instead of just talking to me about it, we just didn't talk about it. We, one of my best friends, um, he came home, it was grade school and his dad was waiting for him in his room on, on the bed and he, and he had the book you know, and they flip through pages of every sexual position in each organ and like the process. And he told me the story. I was horrified. And every day I would come home from school. I'd be like, my dad's going to have to do this soon. Like I'm getting old. Like I, mm -hmm. I, I, so it's coming, it's coming. I, it never happened. 
Never had it. There was just no, there was no birds and bees, safe sex. This is how it happens. You know, it was just like he assumed, I I guess maybe it's different for men, but he, I guess he assumed I'd figure it out. Yep. Yeah. I think I got my first sex talk when I was 16. And I think because, and I'm only like detangling these things now that we're talking about it, but because it was so foreign and forbidden, I had, I lost my virginity at 14. Nobody else had talked to me about it. So I went out and figured it out on my own. I don't know. But so I got a sex talk at 16 in my brain. I'm going, yeah, dad, I know I already have sex, but my dad came down to talk to me in my room and he started with, I know it feels really good. And I remember I just no. threw my comforter over my head and went, ah, no, ah, Ugh. yeah. So eek, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it was that shame living in this body machine that kickstarted this feeling of just not wanting to be seen. I just wanted to be invisible. I didn't want anybody to notice me because then they would know that I was going through puberty. Um, and then being a professional dancer and auditioning, all of that stuff, it just very conveniently parlayed into, well, the epitome of beauty and success is not what you look like. So you better change the shape of yourself if you want to be successful. And so for the people at home, also knowing that your career as a professional dancer, that a majority of your life to dance at the level that you did was spent in front of a mirror, mm-hmm. doing, doing a very strict self-assessment. And I'm sure there were things that you, um, it would almost overlay that lesson that you've learned as a younger child of shame, but being around other girls constantly for hours and hours at a time, looking at yourself in the mirror and it's compare contrast. Absolutely. And uh, that's all I would see in the mirror is how not fit I was all the time. So I could spend eight hours a day dancing and then go home and still do crunches in my bedroom and squats. And mm-hmm. I laugh now and I look at the pictures of my insanely, f- I will never be that fit again, I'm sure, but it wasn't good enough then, even with 10 hours of exercise a day. Where does the, um, because you're putting in all this effort to control mm-hmm. what is just naturally unfolding as your life cycle. And how do you think that level of control, how does that, where did that shift into when you started to really have the issues with anxiety that were debilitating? So as a, a child of divorce, I just, I felt like I had a fractured foundation as a kid. Like I have very vivid memories of just feeling paralyzed with fear that like maybe I wouldn't see my dad again if I slept over at my mom's house. And I have a lot of memories of my mom was the single one. My dad remarried when I was young. So my dad's home felt really safe. It felt like a a family unit was there. So when I would spend time with my mom, which is so sad for me to think of now, I can't imagine being a mom and having your kid not want to be with you. But I would scream and lock myself in a closet. I would say, no, I need to be at dad's house. And she would drive me back over. And so Mm. some sense of lack of control there definitely contributed. And then being the oldest and having really hardworking, given what my parents did not have, it is astounding the, the beings that they are. Their emotional intelligence blows my freaking mind considering how they didn't have parents. They were divorced when I was two and they never showed us that there was any conflict with them or with my stepmom until everybody was graduated from college. That was a pact that they made. And we never knew. They never burdened us with that. Which like, I can't even believe that emotional intelligence right there. Like that is, blows my mind. Did that put a burden on them? Definitely. I'm sure. 
I mean, they all are such lovers that they don't like hold grudges. They would get annoyed and we'd see like a little annoyances here and there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm sure it put a big burden on them because we would be like, yeah, well, let's invite mom over to stepmom's full family Christmas. We did that for years. And then uh, once my sister graduated college, I proposed that. I'm like, yeah, well, let's do And they're like, no, you guys are old. We can tell you now. No, we don't want to do that shit anymore. We did it for you guys when you were kids. So we kind of processed the divorce, me in my mid-20s and my sister just graduating college. Kind of funny. Um, but yeah, I think because I had seen what my parents built from nothing, I wanted to be that too. And so what I thought that meant was I needed to get really good grades. I needed to go to a good college. I needed to make a lot more money because we were poor. I don't know. I just mm-hmm. channeled it into the things that we're taught. Yeah. You're smart and you're pretty. You'll get what you want. And then you'll have more money and that will make you feel safe. And then all the answers come. Totally. Yes. So Tori, what are the, what are some of the coping mechanisms that you found along the way, along the path that have really helped move the needle for the anxiety? Because whether it's many people in in this audience, um, people struggling with chronic illness, Lyme, cancer, you know, there's nothing so frustrating as when you feel like you're always two steps forward, three steps back, and you start to, you know, you start to fear, you become like this pin cushion, I tell people, and you can see it when someone's reacting, reacting, reacting like that to the outside world. How do you, how did you start to gain control? So until I had the awareness that I was creating it, I just thought it was something that happened to me. I thought it was wired in me. I thought like I just was a person who had like anxious genes. I don't know what I thought. I just thought that it was something happening to me. So in coping there, it was always abandoned. It didn't actually fix anything. So it'd be exercise more, eat less, count your calories better, make out with a guy. I don't know. Find a new awesome boyfriend. They were just like band-aid things. So there was no real coping there. But then after I went to that meditation retreat, and I thought that I was going to be mourning this guy, mourning the job I was going to leave. All, all of the things I expected to be devastated about, none of them really bothered me when I was mm. in this isolation for nine days meditating for the first time. And I was meditating for four to five to six hours a day. So it was a lot of personal time and probably the first I had ever really had with myself. And I was having nightmares. And all of the nightmares were time to heal yourself. You are doing this to yourself. This eating disorder is a choice. Like you got to pick something better or else you're never going to become any of the things that you want to become because you're just a shell of yourself. You got nothing to give. So until I had that awareness and went, oh wait, I'm creating this. I didn't have any skills. And then once I had that awareness, I had a long way to go, but I finally could have responsibility for it and go, okay, wait, I'm understanding the thoughts that I'm thinking, the way that I'm perceiving the world. It's creating this physiological response in my body that is anxiety. So I need to get my ass back over to the meditation pillow. I need to go read. I would say prayers. I would beg whoever's listening to just feel better. I would just be willing to feel better, but understood that it was the starting point was me, which was a really big shift in the healing process. And then I I still think I have years and years. It's a lifelong journey, right? Getting really comfortable in who we are. But now that the epicenter of it is my responsibility, now the tools that I use, they aren't just Band-Aids. They really are building new musculature in my body to really be able to trust that I can change anything in my life and anything about myself at any given point. So I still am anxious at points for sure. 
but I'm not a victim to it anymore. I just go, ah, I'm doing that thing. It might've been something I ate. It might've been how I metabolize. Like I had a cup of coffee this morning. Okay. It's one of those times, just this time in the month for me that I don't metabolize coffee in a way that feels really comfortable. So, okay. I don't need to blame it on my job or my fiance or the dog or that I'm having an existential crisis. I'm just having this physical response in my body that feels like anxiety and whoop to do I'm going to get over it. Mm-hmm. I would also, um, let's touch on that for a second. You mentioned it could have been something you've eaten. So if we're going to look at an environmental factor, like the food we take in, how does that play into your levels of anxiety? So, and I'm so thankful that I had the holistic nutrition, like a couple of years in my life, because this so informs everything. Like we are an ecosystem. Anything that we are ingesting, whether it is the food, the drink, the conversations, the friendships, the media, the social media, the movie and TVs, all of that we are ingesting, we're metabolizing, and it's becoming part of ourselves, right? So it is our responsibility to get really clear, find that awareness around, okay, when I ingest this thing, how does it make me feel? Is it life-giving or is it life-sucking? Does it knock me out of orbit or does it bring me closer to the epicenter of who I am? And so it doesn't necessarily mean there's good and there's bad food all the time. That would be way too easy. That's why you can't just gift someone a food plan and go, this is perfect. You will be the epitome of health if you eat this. There also is a level of personal responsibility to actually plant your feet, take a breath and feel what you're ingesting, how it feels in your body. So once I had that realization, I just slowed down a lot more and would listen to my body. So now I know I'm a woman. My body is changing numerous times throughout the month, given the hormones that I'm releasing at that time of the month, right? Mm -hmm. I know there are parts of the month that I can't drink coffee and feel good. So I just, now I know. If I drink coffee, I just own it. And I went, well, ding dong, you drank coffee. So you're going to feel off today. Or I just don't do it. But that awareness that we are so terrified of because it means responsibility, that is what gifts us all of the space for the empowered choices of our life. Mm. I feel that. I feel that. I know it's like, it's very freeing to step into that place of, again, what we're talking about is accepting responsibility for everything in your life. And then all of a sudden you have the possibility to change anything in your life, which is so powerful. That lesson is like again and again and again and again for me. I want to talk a little bit about the hypnotherapy piece. And that's something that we've, we've done together a few times and you've, you've taken me into a, like a deep, deep state of meditation, state of, you know, it feels like a state beyond that, which I could get myself to. Mm -hmm. And when I meditate, it's definitely a challenge. I usually need a guide or a, a track. It's very hard for me to sit in a room. I do it. Um, but why is it, why is it that with um, someone holding the space per se that you can go so deep? I love hypnotherapy because there are so many levels of effectiveness in it. At the heart of it, we're moving through states of the brain and we're moving through an acknowledgement of our consciousness. So let me explain that. So when we are just acknowledging, I'm a human being living in the world, we have so many layers of identity, whether it's, well, I'm a mom, I make this amount of money a year, I have this health problem, this runs in my family's genetics, whatever it is. And we own that identity. And through that acknowledgement of that identity, we're literally telling ourselves to operate like that, right? So 
you as Freddie, who's overcome cancer, you work all of the time to not identify as Freddie who had cancer, right? Because that then you'd be communicating with your cells to go, I am, I'm cancer as Freddie. Does right. that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. So um, moving through states of the brain and really tapping into uh, this bigger consciousness that we are, we're so much bigger than this human body, right? Big picture, that is incredibly important. So you can get there with hypnosis, you can get there with meditation. With meditation, many times you're sitting and you got to battle yourself because you're trying to teach yourself to not be a human being. You're trying to go, oh wait, I got to go against the 30, 40 years of experience that I have of being a human being and I need to acknowledge that I'm something bigger. Something that people don't really teach, don't really talk about. Yes, it's touched upon in philosophy and spirituality and religion, but it's not like every Joe Schmo on the street is going, hey, you're a consciousness bigger than your human being. Like we are working against a lot of psychology and a lot of experience to, to acknowledge that we hold a ton of power in our healing capacities and our manifestation capacities in our life. Okay. So in meditation, you're sitting and you're battling with that. So while you're trying to forget who you are, forget where you are, forget time and space. You have this logical thing happening because you are in a human body and your brain's trying to make sense of shit and it's just a lot of chatter. With hypnotherapy, I get to say, just show up and just listen to my voice. And it's not like I have magic voodoo in my voice. I'm just distracting you from your own identity. And so you're going to follow me into the depths of that relax relaxation, moving from the beta brain state which is really reactionary, very human, down into alpha. Some people can go really deep into delta and theta, but you're allowing me to help you forget that identity. And then what happens is when you're in those deeper states of consciousness, where I've basically taken your hand and pulled you there, and you're focusing on me instead of focusing on all your arguments as to why it won't work, the lack of that chatter in your body lets your cells communicate with one another and go, hey, we got some work to do. Finally, Tori, shut the hell up and is not arguing about all the things that she can't do. She stopped pushing down the cork in the water, right? Like, have you heard that analogy? Abraham Hicks is like, we think we need to create so much where really we just need to stop. We're a little cork floating in water and we're the ones pressing ourselves underwater, drowning ourselves. We're really, we just need to let go and let ourselves float. Right. So mm -hmm. in hypnotherapy, you're just letting yourself float finally. And your the cells within your body can communicate and go, okay, time to heal this, time to uh find coherence in this, time to purge this. So why I love hypnotherapy is many people, it's like their first time even relaxing. So maybe their first couple sessions, it's like, oh hey, I, I feel good because I relaxed. Great. You weren't in a state of stress. That's very healing. That's great. And then the deeper we go, they're building that musculature to be able to access those deeper states of consciousness, deeper states of the brain. And that's where immense healing happens. And that's where really powerful intention setting and manifestation starts to happen because we are actually influencing the world around us all the time with our thoughts and our beliefs about what could happen. So why I love hypnotherapy is it takes the pressure off the human being and gifts it over to me. And then I get to gingerly help you build that musculature to create the life you want in your body and in your reality. I mean, it's, it, it makes so much sense. I don't know why somebody going through any healing crisis wouldn't want to incorporate this into, into the paradigm. Cause right. We, what are the easy things for me? I mean, it's, it's for me in my head, it's always easy to change the food we eat. It's easy to bring in some, um, a tool or a device or, 
I'm going to go get stem cell injections. Well, not cost prohibitive, but you know, you go and you get something like it was very, it was very, honestly, this is so funny. And I just released an episode today about like my story going through like basically like an 18 minute Ted talk, but going through chemotherapy for me was so easy. And people are like, how did you do it? And I'm like, I showed up. Someone yep. told me what I was going to do. They're like, you have metastatic cancer. We can't take it out. So you're going to get these drugs. And I was like, great, let's do it. I had a guide. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't a lot of choice in it. It's just something that was offered to me and it was a logical progression. And when we let ourselves go into that altered state, interestingly, also, do you know that children kind of live in theta? Mm-hmm. Isn't that fascinating? You know how mm-hmm. kids are always like mixing up like reality in the dream world and they're like seriously talking to another human like that's not there or they're it's like Joanne, the pet pink elephant is coming along to the sandbox and it's full out. There is no playtime. It's just full out. And that's that theta state so they can create the reality that they want. And I know I know you can also we can we can get there through deep meditation, hypnotherapy, lots of float tanks, holotropic breathing, breath, breath work, any of those. Yeah. And you just made such a great point. The meditation, the hypnotherapy, all of those tools, that's practice for then bringing it into your real life. Like we don't want to be phenomenal meditators and uh, hypnotherapy clients and just only have great success then, like we are building musculature to then take that joy, that peace, that sense of healing, that sense of inherent responsibility and control, empowered control. Like, oh wait, I get a say about what's going to happen in my life. We get to take that into our real life and it just starts to saturate every area of our life. What I would like to do if you're open to it, is can we do a little um, hypnotherapy induction so people might be able to pass out in their cars and drive into a bridge embankment? Yes. So please don't, <laughs> please don't do this if you're driving. Beautiful. I'm very excited. I think this will be a, um, it's so great. Be a great, I always want, it's like you want to give someone a tool or a resource. How do we dip the toe in the water? And I think this is a great, you know, opportunity for people to, to try it out. Absolutely. So if you are listening to this, if you're driving, don't listen to this right now. It's going to make you sleepy. Hit pause. Yes. You'll play this when you're home on the couch, relax, pillows, ready to go. Yeah. So a lot of people get really emotional when they do this. And it's funny because all we're doing is we're helping them like crack the hard shell, right? So they crack the hard shell, their cortisol, adrenaline levels, lower and they finally have access to who they are for a second, but it makes people really emotional. Like a lot of people start crying when we do this. I don't know, but it's all good stuff. It's really good. It just means you're shedding some shit. So are mm. we allowed to swear on this podcast? We, we have already today. Okay. It's, it's all good. Okay, good. <laughs> so, I'm going to hold the space. Perfect. So friends who are listening, you can lay down on your bed on the couch, on the ground. You can sit in a chair with your feet planted. Whatever is comfortable for you totally works for this. My request is that you just feel really safe. So you want to give your partner, your roommate a heads up to say, hey, I'm locking the door because I just really want to hit this state of relaxation. And if you open the door and scare the crap out of me, I'm not going to be able to have a successful induction right now. So just make sure that you are in a quiet space. You feel nice and safe and cozy. Separate your hands and feet and settle into that comfortable position. 
Be sure that your neck feels supported. If you're sitting up, your back is upright, straight. A position that I can stay in for the next just few minutes of this exercise. If you haven't closed your eyes yet, with your next exhale, softly close those eyes. And in your mind's eye, in your imagination, allow yourself to imagine a safe place in nature where you've been before or a safe place you plan to visit. This safe place is your favorite place, one that invites you to feel serene, alive, calm, supported, inspired. Using your imagination, brighten up and saturate the colors of the landscape you see before you. And notice how clear it is and how good it feels to be there. Notice the things that are moving about and how peaceful and wonderful the mood is. Hear the sounds of nature now as they get a little louder. You may feel a cool breeze on your face. There may be a comforting, familiar, tantalizing scent in the air. A few clouds drift gently across the sky, a sky that goes on forever and ever. The sun in the sky warms your skin, relaxing you, reminding you of how lucky you are to be in this safe, dreamy space. This light stands for everything that's wonderful in life, such as love, peace, serenity, healing, tranquility, and pure relaxation. Allow the warming light from the sun to make contact with your skin inviting it to flow through every muscle fiber, cell, and tissue. As it flows through you from head to toe, allow it to completely relax each muscle group. As it begins to flow through your forehead, feel the stress lines simply spread apart. This light continues to flow through the eyes as the thread muscles behind the eyes simply unravel and the eyes get heavier. The white light continues to flow down over the temples, through the front of the neck, at the same time down the back of the head, neck, and shoulders. Allow gravity to pull the shoulders down into their natural position. Allow the white light to continue to flow through the elbows, wrists, and out through the fingers. You may notice a tingling sensation within the hands, which further shows you're beginning to relax as the bodily functions are slowing down. Your breathing becomes a shade deeper. With each more relaxing breath, Feel the body rest more firmly against the pads you're sitting or laying against. As the white light flows through your back, 
all the muscles and tendons wrapped around the vertebrae unwind and the back settles into its natural position automatically. The light flows through the waist, the knees, the ankles, and out through the toes, pushing out all remaining stress, concerns, worries in the form of tension or tightness, which may have been locked in the body and useless to us now. Feel the nerves dimming like dimming lights. And with each beat of the heart that you're naturally more in touch with from becoming relaxed in this way, allow yourself to go deeper into relaxation. Feel all the muscles and tendons droop and hang on the bone structure, loose and limp. Take another deep inhale, followed by a deep exhale that releases all remaining tension, limitation, disbelief. Take another inhale, filling up your lungs, your head, arms, torso, legs with excitement, clarity, creativity, and joy. And with the last exhale, you may gently float the eyes open. Wow. And now I need to go to bed. <laughs> I'm <laughs> so, so be, relaxed. That yeah. was beautiful. Wow. So that was a relaxation induction. So we didn't actually hit the hypnotherapy piece, right? So mm -hmm. we do that to move the body through the states where it can actually even be receptive to the hypnotherapy. Mm -hmm. um, so that was just the relaxation process. And then we would go into the hyp hypnotherapy script and then we would do another one of these on the other side that pulls you out of that space of relaxation back into alertness. Mm. So exciting. I'm so excited for everybody to hear that. Tori, I, I, wanna, I wanna ask you a couple of questions before we close up because I think we got to some great stuff and then that's a wonderful gift for our audience to be able to do that meditation again and again. You know, one thing, one thing I want to close out the podcast is what does it mean to you to be beautifully broken? Mm. So I have my own podcast and I talk to lovers and world shifters and everybody's got a flavor of the same story. This thing, I thought it was going to kill me. I thought it was the worst. I thought I was irreparable. And then it was the best gift that I've ever been gifted. And I think that being beautifully broken is honoring that this human experience is nuanced and it's hairy and it's scary and some parts totally suck. But if we let them be lessons and let them be tools for moving forward with more empowerment, more clarity, more love in our hearts, that that's the formula for success right there. So I think beautifully broken is a badge of honor to say, hey, I've been to the depths, but I'm back and I'm stronger than ever. And I'm ready to share my message and my love with the world. Amazing. I have another question for you. If you could leave the audience with a question to examine their lives and to maybe challenge a convention that they're, that's maybe holding them back right now, what would that be? So a question that I ask myself literally a thousand times a day is what do I actually want? 
So I think that our tendency is that when we're in that hairy, scary place, whether it's like a little frustration or this big, massive boulder in the way, a big obstacle, we stand in that problem and we try to find a solution, right? Whereas if we really rise up to the solution first and stand in that, then that can give us more clarity around next steps. So instead of just being in a space of pain or uh, anxiety or confusion and trying to find a solution there, I always like to invite myself to the destination of the solution and say, okay, I'm standing in exactly what I want. What comes from here? So I guess my question would be when you, with every choice that you make, ask yourself what you actually want because then you can work backwards to actually get there instead of just doing these short-sighted quick fixes that ultimately just create more havoc in your life. Does that make enough sense? Yeah. Is that all, is that similar to saying, imagine the state that you would be when you receive that million dollar lottery ticket and try to feel like, feel like what that, how that vibration is setting in your body? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even on a more micro level is we can't find an answer in the energy of a problem. So the more that we just own that and we go, oh, wow, this problem feels really big and encompassing, but I know I'm not going to find my answer here. How can I change my state and get to a space of possibility before I even try to consider coming up with an answer? Can you say that one more time? Yeah. So can I use Abundance Land and Lack Village as an example? You, I'd love that. Okay. It just makes it so much more literal. Okay. So friends, there's a village. It's called Lack Village. And when you are standing in Lack Village, Everybody is sick and limping and grouchy and pissed off. There's not great. There's nothing that you want over in Lack Village. It's poverty. It's sickness. It's it's judgment. It's hatred. It's shame. It's guilt. Nothing is for you over there unless you are looking for those things. And then to try to find a solution in Lack Village, you literally you're standing in a village. All you have access to is what's available to you in the village and you got to look around. And if nothing that you want is there, you got to leave the village before you're going to find your answer. So five miles down the street is another place called Abundance Land. And Abundance Land has all of the money, all of the opportunities, all of the friendships, all of your soul partners, all of the great ideas, all of them live in Abundance Land. Wherever you turn, there's something freaking awesome for you. Everything that you want is actually over in Abundance Land. And if we are thinking literally, Like if what I wanted was in LA, would I look around for it in Chicago? No, right? Like we need to be honest about what we actually want. So if what you are looking for lives in abundance land, it's your job to get your ass over there in abundance land. Does that make sense? Clear as glass. Okay, great. (laughs) (laughs) So I was going to let you go. And then I think, I think from what I've heard, I just want to hear if you could look back and you could have a moment with 11 year old Tori what would you say to her right now? Oh, I think about this all the time because I just love her so much. And she's just such a little darling who was trying to figure it out on her own. Um, I don't even know if I would change anything because I want, uh, it's such a gift that I went through a lot of that stuff. But mm-hmm. um, if I had a chance to talk to her, I would just give her a huge hug and tell her she's doing freaking great with what she has and what she knows now. And there's a purpose to it all. Yeah, I would tell her she's loved. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, we love you on this podcast. I am so thankful you said yes to doing the show. And I'm reflecting back to when I did your podcast. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, I wonder if I could do that one day. And it's happening. So funny. (laughs) And your podcast is unreal. Like it's had explosive growth because you're just a natural. You're amazing. Yeah. 
thank you for having me. It's such an honor. Of course, I was going to say yes. Well, we'll we'll do it again because I know we're going to have more things to talk about as our universes both expand. I know we're going to have access to new people, new tools, new dynamics, and I can't wait to share them with this audience. So namaste. Namaste. Ladies and gentlemen, you made it to the end of the podcast. Now, in a world where the average attention span is less than 10 seconds, we just spent almost an hour together. And I think this is the beginning of something really beautiful. Now, one way to support the podcast is to head over to freddysetgo.com and check out my newly launched page, Freddy's Faves, where I've linked every five-star product and healing modality you hear about on the show. Most offer significant discounts by clicking the link. And please know, it doesn't cost you anything extra. And at the same time, they support the show through affiliation. So check out Freddy's Faves on freddysetgo.com. This episode of the Beautifully Broken Podcast was brought to you by our sponsor, Ampcoil, upgrading the vibrations of hearts, minds, and bodies all over the world. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. Grabbing a download is like giving this virtual thumbs up that we're doing it right. And if you want to connect with me, shoot me a message on Instagram at freddysetgo.com or at freddysetgo. That's all for today. Our closing, our closing, the world is hurting. We need you at your very best. So take the steps today to always be upgrading whatever it takes to move the needle. Remember, while life is pain, putting those fractured pieces back together is a beautiful process. I'm your host. I love you. Namaste. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.